Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. of the hours turns to music. To love life through labor is to be intimate with life's inmost secret. All work is empty, save when there is love, for work is love made visible. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschen. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. And yes, help myself move forward and be inspired too. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of meetings so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist and counselor, Shelley Kramer, and the story of Rebourjak's Inkblock Pest. Announcements. So let's see here. Uh, the biggest thing in my life of the past month has been that I made a very, very, very large painting. <laughs> and here's what happened. So I had the great fortune of um, someone donated two very large canvases, they're six feet by five feet to the Indianapolis Art Center where I work. And one of my bosses said, oh, Addie, do you want these? And they obviously had been sitting in somebody's garage for years or whatever. And I said, sure. Um, then found out that they were so big, there was no way I could possibly fit them in my car. So went there with uh, someone to assist me. <laughs> and we strapped the two canvases to the top of my car and managed to get it to my house, which is not very far away. It's in the same neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, I... I I started the one painting and then I stopped. I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just sit on that one for a while. So it kind of started it as an intuitive painting, just going at it and seeing what would happen. And then the other one, I just knew right away what I wanted to do with. I created a large depiction of the eclipse, the eclipse that happened this past August as seen from my front yard in Indianapolis. So it's got the sky and the clouds that were moving very quickly through the area. And we had a thunderstorm like an hour later, so the clouds are moving. And But you can see the moon and how the moon is covering the sun. And then kind of inspired by a painting by Mooks that's called The Sun. Um, it's got a lot of rays of light coming out of the sun and bright colors. You see the orbit of the sun motioning through the sky. And then at the very bottom, you've got uh, the street and me and my dog, very small, because I felt so small that day. <laughs> so it was a really fun painting to put together. It was it just 
invigorating. I can't think of another word, but invigorating. <laughs> I just got so excited to have this huge, huge format to work with. And so that was super fun. And now I'm going to have to strap it back on top of my car and then get it back to the art center because we have a, a faculty show. It's going to be opening up on, uh, we're having a reception October 13th here in Indy at the Indianapolis Arts Center. And um, so you are all welcome to attend if you would like, and you can see the big, huge eclipse painting in person. So what else do I have going on? Um, teaching a lot of classes right now. Um, I've got one that's an intuitive painting class that doesn't start until October 24th. That'll be at the art center. Um, and other things, other things, so many other things, but you can go to my website at zeroclineart.com as always and, and find out what's going on and what you might be able to, um, to join me with, or, you know, take the online classes that I've just started up on there. I should mention that in November, the day after Thanksgiving, um, I do give away one painting. I haven't decided what that's going to be yet. I need to decide. Um, but I give away one painting, a nice painting that's framed to somebody who is on my newsletter list. So especially if you're interested in joining my newsletter and finding out what I've got going on, um, and getting, you know, every few months, I don't do it every week. <laughs> I'm too lazy for that. But, uh, you know, every few months I'll send out the newsletter and I'll have some new paintings that I've got on it and, you know, updates on what's going on and what, what classes are available and all those fun things. And then every Thanksgiving, I give away a painting to somebody who's on that newsletter list. And you just go to my website and sign up for that if you are interested. Okay, so today we've got Shelly Kramer. Oh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, interview with Shelly. Um, who is she anyway? Shelly is a registered expressive arts educator and consultant with the International Expressive Arts Therapy Association. She's also a registered counselor and a registered counseling supervisor with the Association of Cooperative Counselors of Canada. Yes, she is Canadian. Woohoo! Um, Shelly has written 16 uh, expressive arts e-courses and e-books. So if you're interested in those, you want to go to her website, expressiveartworkshops.com, and, um, and learn more about her there. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Shelly. All right. Well, welcome, Shelly, to the show. Uh, thank you, Addie. I am really excited to talk to you today. Wonderful. I'm glad that you're here. What is the story of how you became an artist? Oh, I loved, I love this, uh, this question because I, I now consider myself uh, an, an expressive artist, um, which means that I create art without any pre-planning, so it's very intuitive. But I used to be a gallery artist a long time ago, uh, okay. 20 years ago now. And uh, my art, my my art for the gallery was very pre-planned. Okay. Now, yeah, I think we're all 
intuitive artists as children. I know I used to draw from my imagination when I was five years old and under, and most most children do. And that was a very alive practice for me. I was actually a very prolific, imaginative, intuitive artist as a young child, so much so that I started to sell my drawings for 10 cents each around the neighborhood. I had so many drawings, <laughs> I had to start a little art business. <laughs> but when I later learned how to draw in grade school, it was quite rigid and formulaic, as we all know, and art started to feel like work to me. And that was because it was all measured on how accurate and how talented others, you know, deemed me to be. So realistic drawing was not natural for me. That's what I was taught in school. But I was very determined uh, because I knew I wanted to be an artist, but what I saw in society as what art was, which was drawing realistically, was very painstaking for me. So you could actually say that I, I didn't really even have any talent at drawing, but I wanted to be an artist. So I thought this is the way. And so from eight age onwards, um, age eight rather onward, I kept these little sketchbooks and I made myself draw for about an hour a day. And I remember I used to sit very frustrated and draw my grandmother's china figurines and I would I would you know erase them draw them and erase them and redraw them and it was all very difficult for me but I kept on practicing my realistic drawing skills through my teen years and it was funny because even my art teacher in grade 12 she said you don't have a natural talent for drawing but I really admire your you know your dedication to the process and so I carried on after high school into design school which was even more technical drawing so I learned how to draw perspectives and marker rendering and uh all very, very technical kinds of drawing. And that was really challenging for me to master as well. So um, ever determined to be an artist, as I thought being an artist in society was, I took extra night classes on the side in architectural rendering. And so I was living in a big city at the time. And we had very, you know, just tons of different design school. So I went to one college during the day and I took night classes on top of my regular college classes at a different college. And through sheer will, I became quite good at architectural rendering, but it was not my natural talent at all. And, you know, one thing I can say, just looking back on that, is that I am still a lover of creative practice and that I practice my creativity every day. Uh, but back then, I really forced myself to fit into societal standards as an artist. And so if I wasn't good at something, I just was very determined to practice. But since becoming an expressive artist, uh, I do a spontaneous creativity practice every day that I really enjoy, <laughs> you know, not one that I hate. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm intrigued so, by that. Do you sit down at a certain time every day I'm imagining there's a ritual to it there is there is I I, um, I speak about this a lot in my programs but really the basis of my own personal lived uh, understanding of the expressive arts is just through practice so every year I pick a different practice and this year I'm doing a Mandela an intuitive Mandela practice and I do do it in the mornings and I just set a 
you know, every year there's different parameters that I set for myself. And this year it's just um, the consecration that I'm going to calm myself through Mandela making. And I only do it for, because I have a therapy practice during the day. So I only do it in the morning as a meditation right now for at most 30 minutes and sometimes longer weekends. But that's, you know, every year I do a different practice. I might explore collage, I might explore drawing, uh, but always a deep, deep immersion into some kind of a process just to see who I'll be on the other side, you know? Wow. Yeah. So after design school, I went on to become a gallery artist in my 20s. And as you can imagine, my art after four years of design school was very aesthetically considered and it was completely pre-planned. So while I never did learn how to draw realistically in a really masterful way, I was very good at putting colors and patterns together in a harmonious uh, way. And it's really interesting to me now because I'm most known for my intuitive collage work. And when I look back at my early painting style, my paintings were really collages of beautiful patterns put all together. Okay. So, yeah. So as a, as a gallery artist in the 80s, I was doing a lot of uh, patterned birds and fish and still lives. And I was very influenced by the children's folk artist, Jean Ray, and her really primitive kind of folk drawing and painting style. So it didn't require that I have to be very accurate in my, in my rendering abilities. But my paintings were really in style back then, and they were popular, and they sold well back in the day. And I had my work in a really great high-end art gallery and my paintings were hanging alongside of some of the greatest Canadian artists that I was okay. absolutely in awe of at the time and so I was offered my first solo show at age 29. Okay. Yes and around the time that I was offered my first solo art show my intuitive art was starting to come through my gallery paintings and I was feeling so invigorated and alive in my process. But when I brought them into the gallery, the gallery owner said to me, don't change your style for your upcoming art show. Oh no. Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd be really angry because of course, she wanted something that was going to sell out and that was going to sell. But I was right. really tired of painting in the intensely detailed way that I was painting for the gallery. And so while my paintings were selling for a nice high price, they were so carefully calculated in their detail. I could only complete about one a month. So it was a very ponderous process, you know. And also, when my first solo show was confirmed, I didn't realize that my heightened intuition was coming to the fore because I was pregnant with my daughter. Oh, <laughs> and all, do it. <laughs> exactly. So all of my emotions were coming to the surface, and I was starting to make these very secretive, intuitive drawings and paintings that were not pretty or sell, you know, saleable. They were 
quite dark and sad and some were angry and some were sexual and very forbidden um, themes and topics for me, but they felt amazing, amazing to do because at the time I was quite emotionally repressed in my life. So they were expressing my inner life perfectly. So I was having this very secret inner life expression going on on the side. So I decided one day to pull out of the solo show and I dedicated myself to creating intuitively and and I did so for the next 10 years just in my private journals and after about 10 years of my own deep immersion into intuitive expressive art I heard the inner call to take my work out into the world and it was almost a instant transition into I got a job uh, facilitating art in healthcare, and I ended up doing that for 10 years while studying to be a counselor on nights and weekends. And And now I've left healthcare, and I have a very vibrant expressive arts business online. And I also just opened a private counseling practice in the small town where we just moved to from the big city. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I guess that leads into our next question which is how do you use what you've learned as a counselor to guide your art and your art students? But it almost sounds like maybe I have it backwards. You started working as an, an artist counselor and then learned the counseling as you were going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, well, it was, I've been so lucky. I've always, you know, as I started living the process of the expressive arts from the inside out, everything just really unfolded for me. And so I was already getting jobs, therapy jobs, um, really art therapy jobs without any kind of designation whatsoever. And so about halfway through that 10 year process, I thought, Oh, I want to, um, I actually didn't, I, I chose not to go the art therapy route because I was immersed in it day to day and I was already working in the field, which is kind of the end goal of going through the process of an art therapy education. Sure. So I ended up deciding to round out my, uh, my education with counseling because for me, the seed of all of my work in the world, whether art related or not, is in the area of my deepest fascination, which is emotional healing. So I've always been driven to emotionally heal through the expressive arts myself and how emotional healing applies to creating expressive art is really quite profound. I think in my, in my online workshops and also in my in-person workshops, I, I often speak to how the social conditioning that we all gather in our growing up years, in our families, in our schools, in our social groups, is the source of all of our learned self-rejection. And so I explain how spontaneous, expressive, intuitive art, whatever you want to call it, helps us to bypass the social mask, which is our in authenticity, or you could say it's our survival selves, you know, the self that we had to be in our social structures to fit in, 
you know, that those thoughts that run through our mind, like I need to be a certain way to be perfect, good, nice, fit in, to belong, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's that's how that's how I see uh, the melding of the counseling and the art is that it really the the expressive art really helps to bypass that that guarded self, that in socially guarded self. Okay. Whew. So um one random question I have for you at the moment is so oftentimes when we create work that's it's meant to express ourselves and in a therapeutic way and we're processing and in the end we might even have something that's um it's a disturbing image or you know something something that is maybe i'm going to use air quotes here but you can't see it right not pretty (laughs) 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 and so um what do you do with your paintings that um you went through the process you learned what you needed to learn and now they're done do you keep those or do you burn them um i've had times when i've burned a bunch of them as a cathartic release sort of a thing what do you do (laughs) (laughs) well i can tell you that i have i don't know it seems like hundreds of journals filled with sketches and collages and um there are some i have burned in that um you know i was going through a challenging uh divorce and i decided to start an anger journal and so this was my daughter's father right so i i just let myself rip roar uh anger was a forbidden emotion for me but in the process of that anger journal i i learned how to swear because i didn't allow myself to swear before that journal and i did all kinds of dark heavy scritchy scratchy anger drawings. And um, that was the one journal that I, expressive art journal that I burned um, partly as a ritual and partly because I thought, well, I don't want my daughter to ever see that <laughs> that about her father, you know, so it was very, very personal. And that was the one um, journal that I did burn. But having said that, um, I do like to keep all of my expressive art because I find that we, we heal in uh, you know, that beautiful spiral pattern where we go back and we revisit issues. And oftentimes when I'm healing at a at a higher level or sh- shall we even say a deeper level of some uh, pattern of emotional pain, I'm often drawn to go to my bookshelf and I just will pull an old journal down and I will see myself going through that pattern at a younger age and what did I learn from that time and it's just a really interesting process because we really only have a few patterns that we revisit again and again and again in our lives and so it's really fascinating for me to see how those patterns go back in time and how we heal them at different levels uh, as we mature. So I feel quite uh, honoring of all of the expressive art that I have created. And I, I've kept it all. I have it. I just loaded with it. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Great. Are they mm-hmm. like eight by 10 notebooks? Are they small? Are they bigger? 
You know, every uh, creative practice calls for different art materials. So right now I'm working in a small square journal for my mandalas, and I'm doing a lot of mandalas. I decided to do 365, you know, 365. So... Uh, you know, it's taking up quite a few mixed media journals. I've, I've done some big, huge art journals and some years when I was really busy. And this is what I specialize in in my teaching practices is I I support people to do a small expressive art practice every day as in, in addition to their working life and their busy life or their parenting life or whatever they're 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 up to during their day. And so. Um, a lot of my spontaneous practices when I was working full time were tiny. They were small, like just, uh, okay. you know, pulling a magazine image and, and writing a little poem about it. Or um, I, I actually specialize in very, very short expressive art prompts as well as very deep ones. But the, the short ones are really great for people who are getting started in the expressive arts. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the, the column designs that they make in India with chalk? No. Okay. So it's spelled K-O-L-A-M. And um, you, know, you can look it up online and there are some books about it um, where you can make your, it teaches you how to make your own designs. But um, what it is, is there's a region in India where um, the women wake up every morning and they do their morning routine, getting things ready for the day. And part of that is that they go out to their front porch and they sweep it clean, clean it off, and they make this design that's out of chalk, a special type of pasty chalk. And it's usually mm-hmm. one continuous line. You know, they'll, they'll start and then it's just infinity. They just go, 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 go until they lift up and they're done. Mm. And and then um, they recreate it every day because when they come out the next morning, they wash the old one clean, sweep it off, and everything, and then redo it. Oh! And so it has a very meditative, ritualistic mm-hmm. um, element to it that that is, you know, an, important to them and um, enhances their lives. They do. Um, have certain things that they will add if there's a, a celebration going on, like a wedding or certain you know, times a year or whatever. But um, yeah, you should look into it because I, I think you would really, you'd really like it, especially if you're doing these mandalas every day. It just sounds similar. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, how beautiful, how beautiful is that? I, I'm a real promoter of creative practice because I think that, um, it does create that window into possibility of something that we're not consciously thinking about. So normally we go through our, our day in our, in our socially conditioned mind and many of us don't even get outside of that. So I see the, the spontaneous art as uh, a window into a different kind of possibility or a different way of thinking that we normally wouldn't think about. And so this is really neat because I was just working with somebody yesterday and I'm always saying these things that, 
you know, a continuous scribble drawing is a great warm up for expressive art. Oh, yeah. And then and then finding something in the scribble. That's just the classic. But I mean, I, I always say to her, well, that could be a creative practice for you because it's really good at bringing through the unconscious uh, material. You know what you would It's just like cloud gazing. What would you see in the clouds or what would you, you know, uh, notice in a day? Uh, that that is telling you something about how you're feeling inside right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Rorschach tests yeah. exactly yeah. exactly yeah so that's wonderful I will definitely look that up yeah cool okay so my next question for you um is for you to tell us more about your expressive art online workshops um you know, how are they set up? What can students expect? I took um, one of them that was the freebie, and mm -hmm. I thought it was great. And you've got this wide variety. Tell us more about it for the folks who might be interested in taking them. Yes, I was laughing, 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 thinking about, okay, what is it here? It was, um, the funny thing is, is I created my first e-course 10 years ago, which... Oh. Um, is like was in the dark ages of yeah, the internet, right? You were ahead of the game. <laughs> I was, I was. It was a written course with art examples, and it was a course about my own journey of reclaiming the various repressed and disowned parts of myself through spontaneous collage. And it's called Collage for Self-Discovery, and I, I wrote it way back when. And I'm not even sure, I don't think autoresponders were invented back then. So when someone signed up, it was all manual. And so I would email my course installments individually. Everyone was on different weeks, and I did this on my Sundays, um, my day off from work. And it was all very laborious. And, and then eventually, I kind of, for years, I worked up to wrapping my brain around how does an autoresponder work and that, you know, when someone signs up, they're going to get a lesson. And, um, and so I figured out how to, how to get on a, an autoresponder service so that when people signed up, they would get an email every day. So my earlier courses were written courses with uh, art examples, my own art as examples. And so I recently, this past summer, just remounted up almost all, all of my e-courses, still in process a little bit more, but hundreds and hundreds of lessons. Like I've written 15 e-courses, so wow. I don't know, maybe a 1,000 lessons total if you were to take them all individually. And I put them up on an educational e-course platform. So there's um, e-courses are big now, as you probably know, and there's many available beautiful e-course platforms on the internet now that weren't available 10 years ago. So I've had to kind of come out of the dark ages this summer <laughs> and get my work up onto um, a really beautiful platform. So what this allows is for uh, people to still get their lessons every day, but there's no missed lessons. But what happens with autoresponders is uh, daily, a big part that's really cutting into my therapy day is people writing me and saying, oh, I didn't get lesson three, five, nine, and blah, 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 you know, and I have right. to manually send the lessons to to my uh, students. So so the platform's really stable and beautiful, and it allows the students to comment on the lessons if they so choose, and they can post up their artwork and and um, like I said, it's just uh, freeing me up to start this new part of my practice, which is so lovely. 
And as I said, um, most of my courses are written uh, lessons with, um, you know, with art examples. And so one end of, on one end of my business, I really support people, like I said, to get started with expressing themselves emotionally through spontaneous art and writing prompts in a way that they might not think of to do so on their own, right? So I have this thing I just love doing. I think of new expressive art and writing prompts every day. I, I just, I'm just like so prolific here. I just, I just can't help it. And so that's a huge niche for me and that I get a lot of people who are just beginning and they want to um, have little sparks to create expressively and authentically, but they don't really know uh, how to begin. So that's that's the foundations. And then I also offer really in-depth programs for really profound levels of emotional processing because, like I said earlier, it's uh, an area of deep fascination to me. I have... Um, program for inner child work and I have a really big course called 100 Days of Art Journal Therapy which offers a really in-depth art or writing prompt every day for 100 days and and so this this really delves in that that course for sure just really delves into my area of fascination which is where does emotional pain come from and why do we have emotional pain why do we feel it and like I said earlier, I think it always comes down to some kind of self-rejection, you know, and that self-rejection can often be really shrouded, really hidden because uh, self-rejection becomes our normal and we don't even know that we're self-rejecting. Right. But the spontaneous creativity really brings it forward. And when you can see it visually, either in writing or art form, um, you can you can love it, you can accept it, you can re reconcile with it and bring it into your whole self. And, and sometimes we don't even know to do this if we don't do spontaneous art. It's just we just don't even know it's there. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, and I've, I've seen lots of instances where someone's creating a piece of art and then something comes out and it takes them some time to realize what that was you know yes. so it, oftentimes it's something like we've got all these images and then this dark cloud comes through or you sometimes it's visually like this is a <laughs> literal dark cloud that's <laughs> coming into our picture or whatever um but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have to be that but that i've seen a couple of times with people where um you know the, those things are starting to cover up other things and but um yeah, I, I bet you've seen that a lot where yes, um, yes, where yes. things come out, be, particularly because w with artwork, you, you can say things visually that you can't say with words or that, as you're saying, you might not even realize that they're there because it's so inherent or it's just so ingrained mm -hmm. in who you are at this time. And Absolutely. so... Um, you know, a lot is revealed. <laughs> right. uh, you're so right about that. And and so often when I'm working with uh, beginners to the expressive arts, as I often say to them, you know, your subconscious art, which is what intuitive art is, is it's coming from a deeper place. It could be predating your conscious understanding by six to 12 months. And that's the way it was for me at the beginning. And I often see this with beginners is that they go, well, I don't know why I created this. This is really disturbing to me, but I have no idea what this is. And I just say, well, just meditate on it, put it away or even just put it up somewhere. And, and for me, 
uh, with all the expressive art that I've created over the years, um, now I'm pretty good. I can, pr- you know, catch it pretty quick as to what it is because I'm aware of my patterns and I've done so much deep inner work. But um, in the early days, I would have, you know, a, a really profound feeling or emotion or thought six months later, a year later, and I go, oh, that was that collage I made a year ago. <laughs> that was reflecting this that's coming up now today. So it's right. almost precognitive, a lot of this work. Um, and it's it's super fascinating. And for me as a teacher, I've always felt very called to share as much of my personal process as possible because I want to normalize the truth that we all have many different parts inside and we all have light parts and we all have dark parts. So I, uh, I actually have a, a free, um, sort of a, it's, it's like a, a webinar that is on my new, uh, educational platform, which is a journey through my own expressive art journals, because I want to normalize that we we do need to create dark things sometimes. We do need to process things. And and recently this year, I've been asked to video teach for uh, Lifebook 217. And, um, oh. you know, yes. Also so, for Tim's? Uh, yeah. Tim's? Yeah, okay. And so, you know, I I hadn't done video before, and so after much technical wrestling around with the equipment, (laughs) which was so challenging, I discovered that I love to teach on video because uh, it feels super connected to the participant, but also because I do pride myself on sharing deeply my own process as a living example of what kind of work can come up through the expressive arts. So talking and demonstrating on camera spontaneously was super fulfilling for me. It was just another spontaneous process, which, um, you know, I would just spontaneously talk about what, what, whatever was coming to mind as I was doing my spontaneous art. And, and so it was even that much more alive for me to teach in uh, you know, that video format. So I created an intuitive Mandela course for Tam and also uh, an intuitive collage course for Lifebook, which will eventually be available on my own learning platform in 2018. Okay. Oh, awesome. Oh, cool. It's all coming together because I interviewed her <laughs> a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. All right. So, I just, I really love how you, you talk so much about how art can heal us in a therapeutic way. And, you know, I've seen so many moments over the years where I've had a healing moment because of the, the aha, the, oh, I know what this means now. And I, I, I see what's happening here with the subconscious, all those things. And I've seen it from my students. Um, do you have any you know specific stories you can share that, will attest to the healing power of art? <laughs> it was, you know, it's so hard to think of just one story, Addie, because <laughs> I have witnessed yeah. the power of the healing of the expressive arts for the past 10 years pretty much daily. You know, and even as a young mom, I started facilitating expressive art with my daughter when she was two years old. I had her painting and drawing and story writing and all those things like she naturally wanted to do, but I facilitated it every day for her. 
And then I worked in healthcare with people of various ages through the years, but mostly my concentration was working with people near the end of their life. So I've literally witnessed artists creating intuitively from the age of two to the age of over 100. I think 106 was the oldest artist that I worked with. (laughs) Yes. And so it's really fascinated me to work with so many different age groups And what has really profoundly set in for me is how distinctly unique we all are in our innate, intuitive way of creating. So the story that comes out of these thoughts is that it takes me back to my very first expressive arts program that I facilitated in my community over 10 years ago. And like I said, it just fell into my lap. I was intuitively creating at home in my own studio by myself in my journals for 10 years. And then I got this voice come to me, say, you have to take this work out into the world. And literally in a week, I had a job in healthcare. (laughs) And so it was, it was amazing. It was, um, I was untrained. I didn't have any counseling or therapy training, but I was just living the process. You know, I was just in it. And it was uh, it was a funded art program through my local therapeutic art program through my local health authority. And it was for adults with acquired brain injuries. And we had just rented a dedicated studio teaching space in one of those, you know, those designated art studio buildings where professional artists rent studios. So it was this really neat place. And so I led a class there several times a week in our own studio. And then we also had access to and also the invitation to visit the other professional artist studios in the building as part of our program. So once a week, we would go out, we'd visit an artist and have a &A, (laughs) Q&A chat with the artist. And I particularly remember this one artist that we went to visit and she was a professional artist and her her style was very technically good. And so on one side of her studio, she had her professional gallery work, which was beautiful, beautiful still lives and flowers, mostly all very saleable. And and um, on the other side of her studio, she had a big series of a very different kind of paintings, and they were very uh, free flow, doodled figures, very expressive. And when I asked her, why do you paint in such different styles, she referred to her professional work as challenging her cognitive mind, her brain, and you could say her conscious mind. And she said she liked to work very hard to to get a painting to look just right for gallery sale. It just was like a really nice challenge for her. And then on her other side of the studio with her freeform painting, she just kind of just waved them off and brushed them off. And she said, oh, well, that's my natural style. She said, I've been drawing like that since I was a kid, but it's never, you know, I just do that for my own pleasure. It's not something I could sell. (laughs) So that story really illustrates to me, I think, how we all have an intuitive, innate, creative style that's inborn. And if we so choose, we can develop that. And she had chosen to develop that. So her expressive drawings were very fluid, very free, very enlivening to look at. For me personally, I was very inspired. And I was 
you know, equally inspired by her cultivated work, which was very, very, very aesthetically beautiful and uplifting in a different way. But one thing I've learned as a workshop leader and an expressive arts facilitator over the last 10 years is that we can be kind of discouraged. We can feel a bit discouraged about developing an intuitive um, uh, style, we'll call it, or what it, our innate creative style that is inborn in us because we usually stop intuitively creating like I did around age five or six when we start to learn how to draw. And so what I found in facilitating intuitive painting workshops, especially and drawing workshops most of all, is that uh, we always have to go back to where we stopped intuitively creating and develop our style from there. So we might have been criticized in grade two for drawing something that wasn't technically good. Well, if we want to recover our intuitive drawing style or painting style, we have to go back and start from there. So it, our, our, our initial intuitive work might look quite kind of primitive or simple or childlike, and that's the way it usually comes through. But I have found, and I was very determined once I started intuitively creating in my 30s, that my, I was, I thought, you know, my, this could develop. My intuitive style could develop, and it turned into a very developed style of drawing that's uniquely my own that I, I would have never discovered had I not started out kind of chunky and awkward and childlike, you know, <laughs> uh, in the beginning. So, yeah, you do have to go back to where you stopped the intuitive process. <laughs> Does that mean that we do it with crayons? <laughs> yes, and the yeah. crayons are great. Absolutely. And then if you practice every day, your own style will come through and it will get quite sophisticated over time. So, um, yes, that's a great place to start. Crayons is a very therapeutic place to start. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's that sometimes, especially when the the medium is really expensive, that can be intimidating or just make you tighten up in a way that you wouldn't if you're working with crayon. <laughs> Absolutely, and I that's that's a big thing for me is with um, my expressive arts teaching. Like I I um, because I support people to get started in the expressive arts. I want it. I want materials that you can buy at the drugstore, the stationery store. So all of my mandalas right now, I'm not using, um, you know, beautiful Coptic markers or anything like that. I am, I'm using Crayola, um, felt markers okay. <laughs> and, a, and a uniball pen to draw them. And, and it just makes it more accessible that we can just pick up some materials and, um, and well, because I'm prolific in my, you know, uh, the number of drawings and things that I do in a practice that sometimes the cheaper materials are a good economical choice as well. So, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded too of how Picasso said, and I'm not going to be able to do a direct quote off the top of my head, but he said something along the lines of how he wanted to get back to working like a child because um, he had been, you know, like you trained um, in the traditional art school mm. and and learned mm -hmm. how to um, make things look realistic, which of course is a great skill to have. But but he later in life decided he wanted to get back to that spontaneity of uh, 
working like a child and and you can see that in his drawings that are just I, I don't know if he did them with pen or what, what he did but they're they're very simple um yes and uh so he had the the same thoughts <laughs> indeed a wonderful correlation Addie, because that indeed is the this sort of aliveness that we want to get back to it's the level of consciousness of innocence of creating right in the moment from the spontaneous urges within that we all in a sense long to get back to as artists i think at least in some even uh, even if it's just a private corner of our practice because it's the aliveness that we're going for really ultimately in the creation process i yeah. think yeah mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. special spark <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, and i'm keep thinking about this uh, artist that you talked about who you went to her studio and she had all the you know more intuitive paintings on one side and then the um, this you know gallery style paintings on the other and I wonder if you know maybe the intuitive painting she made could be saleable um, and well, I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. questioning her I've obviously not seen her work or whatever but just I mean I think it perhaps there's room for that I mean Picasso sold his little this is, this is it. Yes, <laughs> this is it. This is it. And I certainly thought they were developed enough because she was doing them, as she described to me, as a warm up to her other style. So her other style was more compositionally focused and aesthetically considered and you know the colors were very carefully mixed and her intuitive style was very developed because she was doing it every day and had since childhood as just for fun for her own self for her own warm-up and like I said you know you can develop your intuitive style into something that's really alive and really intriguing and while it might start out very primitive at first if you've left it behind for many 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 years it doesn't mean that in five or ten years you couldn't have something that's completely you know inborn and essential to your to your soul that's coming through and and certainly absolutely and the world is opening up now too we're not we're not so set as you know even 10 years ago as to what art needs to look like to sell right 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 mm -hmm. and I think we are at a point too where just abstract expressionist work is is much more normal to see in you know a home decorator magazine and whatnot so it I think is, it understanding is. there's 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 so much there that it's it's worthwhile to sit and stare at it for a while <laughs> i agree i agree and i think it's that um that very popularity that really speaks to this innate urge that we all have to to somehow reclaim or recapture our intuitive uh, creative style and uh, you know when we know when we see something that feels authentic we know when we see something that feels intuitive it does something for us you yeah. know and yeah. you know Picasso's later drawings they weren't like you said as as accurately rendered as some of his earlier masterworks but there's an aliveness to them right. that is very attractive to our soul, to our psyche, because of course, you know, we all want to get back to that, that innocence where everything we express is okay, where, where we're whole and everything comes out and is just perfect as it is, you know, without all that social judgment. Oh. Yes. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> uh, so, um, 
can't believe it, but we're at our final question, uh, and that is, what is your favorite art book or personal art story? All right. Well, you know, I have to share my all-time favorite book, okay. and I have to buy another copy of this as my 20-year-old copy is falling apart <laughs> at the seams, and it is the classic book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Life, Paint, and Passion. Uh, it's by Michelle Cassu and Stuart Cubley. Do you know of that book? I don't know that I... Yeah. Uh, Life, Paint, and Passion. Um, I mean, gosh, it sounds familiar, but, you know, I used to be a librarian, so I had a million books go through oh, my hands. Oh, yes. And, you know, I didn't necessarily read them all. I know that's not one that I've read. But tell us about it. Yeah. I will. I will. It came out uh, right, at, right after The Artist's Way, which everybody knows The oh, Artist's yeah. Way. And, of course, you know, all of us 20 years ago started writing our morning pages, and I did too. I wrote morning pages for years and years and years. And I've actually even written uh, a couple of e-courses on guided morning pages because for people when they get emotionally stuck, you know, because okay. <laughs> anyway, that's an aside. But I came across Life, Paint, and Passion right around the time when I was secretly uh, doing my little dark, uh, sad, and angry drawings in my sketchbook right around that gallery period where I just pulled out of the gallery. And, oh, my goodness, you know, when you find a book that you love, it's shining on the bookshelf like a beacon calling to you. <laughs> and so I bought the book, and um, it's the story, really, of Michelle Cassu. Uh, she was married to Stuart Cubley at the time, but they're not they're no longer together. But it was her story of returning to intuitive painting and and how um, she, like myself, I always wanted to be an artist, but felt frustrated with having to render things accurately. And so she started to she lived in France and she started to paint with children. And so she watched how they painted intuitively and she started to copy them. And she started out very, very similarly to what I have been speaking about. Uh, her intuitive style started out very childlike. And um, so she started to paint these very childlike paintings with this with children in the, in this painting studio. And then as she went, uh, she just was on fire. She was on just in total passion with this process. And it tracks her evolution of her paintings over the years and how an intuitive painting style can become incredibly developed and transcendent and informative and interesting. And, um, so, uh, it's it's that it shows the progress of her paintings in the middle, and then also every chapter is a little teaching on how to create intuitively. And I still think it's the best book that's ever been creative uh, or created on the intuitive painting process. Okay. So no matter whether you're going to write intuitively or paint intuitively or collage intuitively, I think that in order to stay in touch with that intuition and to understand why you would want to do so. Uh, that book sort of explains it all. Okay. Yeah. And so I actually went and did, um, you know, a retreat with Stuart Cubley, the co-author of the book. And, uh, 
I was so passionate about it. And I mean, in a way, I shouldn't have even gone to the retreat because I had a little baby and she was nursing all the time. So I don't think I even attended any of the workshop. But when my baby was sleeping, I would go and paint in the studio by myself. And I created several intuitive paintings at that um, that workshop with Stuart that totally validated my journey. And then I was off, you know, that was then I just immersed myself in the intuitive creative process for for 10 years. And I haven't stopped intuitively creating since then. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, Shelly, you are so cool and wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and stories with us. Oh, Eddie, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. So fun. Thank you. Thank you. And now for our story of the day. This is about Rogorjak and the Inkblot Tests. And this is one of the short stories that is in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. In Europe, in the late 1800s, a card game called Blotto that's B-L-O-T-T-O, became popular. The game consisted of pre-made cards that had lots of ink splattered on them. The players would look at these blots, searching for images. They would then write poems inspired by what they saw and share them with their fellow players. The Swiss psychologist Hermann Rorschach used the idea from the game Blotto to develop his tests for mental health. He created inkblot pictures and then asked his patients to describe what images they saw. Rorschach believed that what the patients saw told a lot about their personality. This test was also used to encourage the patients to discuss memories of the past, their desires and their fears, this way, the psychologist could help the patient work through personal problems. Many artists have used ink blots to inspire their paintings. These artists include Leonardo da Vinci, Botticelli, Victor Hugo, Salvador Dali, and Andy Warhol. Um, Victor Hugo, I will add, uh, did a lot of ink blots with splattered blood. Uh. <laughs> So that's the end of that short story. Um, well, I love a couple things. Number one, I love that the original test, Blotto, was one of those games, or not original test, the original game of Blotto <laughs> was not really a test. <laughs> it's one of those games where you didn't have, you didn't have a winner and a loser. It's just a game that's encouraging people to be creative and share with uh, people, um, as they're sitting around the parlor and the hearth. I just, I just love that. I think it'd be a really fun game to play. Um, a little side note about Vorjak. He didn't live very long. He only lived to be gosh, 30 or something. And he died of tuberculosis, I think. But, um, so he, um, but he did contribute to the world of psychology, this test and, he created it in, gosh, what, the 1920s, something like that, but it didn't really become popular, at least not in the United States, until the 1960s, just to give you an idea of the timeline we're talking about here. But, um, but many artists, as I said, over the years have used inkblots 
Um, a lot of them will start out their paintings by splattering on paint, looking at it, seeing if any images emerge, and that then they will accentuate and use it as a jumping off point. So it's certainly something I think is really fun, um, to, both to do in the classroom and just on your own um, doodle time. Another thing that I love about Rorschach inkblot tests is how it, it shows so much of, of it, it tells so much about the viewer what they see. You know, I might look at an image of an inkblot and see, oh, it's a butterfly, and somebody else will see a scary, scary alien face. What does that say? There, there isn't a right or wrong answer. It's just it's telling, and it certainly can be a way of uncovering the unconscious, bringing it to the surface so that we can then have a dialogue and talk about it. And I do want to add that, you know, oftentimes the viewer of a piece of artwork might see something that the artist didn't intend. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Because I think, again, it's, it's showing something about you. Um, just be careful to not assume oh, I see a scary alien face in that. That must be what the artist intended. You just... Because as an artist myself, <laughs> I can it can offend me if people jump to a conclusion about what I'm trying to say with a piece that's not what... that's not what I was intending. And it's fine if they take it in another direction, but... It's just something to think about, that your interpretation of a scene might say more about you than it does the artist themselves. And sometimes, as Shelley Kramer and I talked about, you know, it can be hard to even see things that you, if, if you were the artist, it can be hard to see those images and have their full meaning and the full lesson to be learned from that pulling of the, the subconscious out into visual form, it can take time for you to really see that. So your interpretation of a piece that you made today might be very different than your interpretation 10 years later. And again, no right or wrong, we're playing blotto here, you know, <laughs> there's, there's not a winner and loser here. It's, it's just about learning about ourselves so we can grow. Alrighty. Time to say sayonara for the day. <laughs> this concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast. Maybe stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Annie Hurston and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T.com.